0: Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org.
1: With this message, we begin a series that will take us through Advent season of 2020. For those of you not familiar with the term Advent, it really just means that it's anticipating the arrival of something or someone or an event that is of significance. As it relates to faith, the Jewish people were relating or waiting for the advent, the coming of the Messiah, their deliverer, a savior who would come and make all things right. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ is the one who they were waiting for and who we waited for to be our Savior. The waiting had come to an end when Jesus arrived and he was born in Bethlehem. This is why we celebrate Advent as a build-up to Christmas Day. When we talk about celebrating Advent, we're really talking about possibly two different things. One is the advent of Jesus as the Messiah, as I just talked about. The second, though, is we... Sometimes we'll discuss the second Advent or the second coming of Jesus, which many Christians now will talk about as we await the arrival of Christ as the consummate King, the one who brings total redemption to the world. It's in this celebration of Jesus's first arrival that we look at Advent and this coming and we light candles. We we start with the first candle, the candle of hope, and then we light it, uh, and then it'll come next the following week, the next candle, until we make our way until Christmas Eve, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus with what we call the Christ candle, lighting it on Christmas Eve. Well, today we begin this celebration of Advent, this celebration of lighting the candles as we light the candle of hope. In lighting the candle of hope, I want to begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to watch a short video clip put together from the Bible Project that really gives us a good perspective about what the biblical view of hope is, how hope is presented in the scriptures, and how it relates to us as a people of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. That it is a hope based upon the promises that you've made and your character that you fulfill your promises. And so, Lord, it is not a hope that is just wishful thinking. It is a hope founded in who you are and what you've done. And so during this Advent season, Lord, may we be a people who are full of hope, recognizing that you have fulfilled your promise to send a Savior, Jesus Christ. That this is a hope that has been fulfilled and will be fulfilled again with the second coming when you come and make all things new, all things right Lord, in your second coming. So as we Think about this candle of hope. Lord, may it light within each of us a hope that is sustained not in the circumstances around us, but it is sustained in our trust and our faith in who you are, what you've done, and what's yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's watch this clip from the Bible Project on what biblical hope really looks like. So let's say you want to
0: describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the flood waters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's release. That's kava. The feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because He's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there is no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope. Like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my Yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope and they used the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn to become new and different kinds of humans. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope
1: are all about. I found that distinction between hope and optimism, particularly helpful. I think often myself and others that I know have a sense of Christian optimism more than we have Christian hope. The reason I think that is because I'll often say that I can see God accomplishing things this way. I already have pieces made out and a way forward that I think God should take. And I'm optimistic that he'll choose my path, choose my ideas about how to move forward in a particular area. In contrast to this, instead of just being optimistic that God will choose my outcome, Christian hope says, I really don't see what the best way is. I really don't even know if there's a way forward through this. But I do know that God can make a way even when there doesn't seem to be a way for it. That's real hope. The hope is not in the circumstances or my ability to piece together a plausible outcome. That's optimism. Christian hope says, you know, I really don't know the best way forward. And I really don't even know if there is a way forward. What I do know is God is faithful. God is powerful. And God will find a way to redeem all things in his way and in his timing. This is really where we're going to spend the remainder of our time is looking at Isaiah chapter 9 and then also Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to see how God presented that he was going to make a way for his Messiah to come and deliver the people of Israel and how Jesus really fulfilled that. So if you would, if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 9 or we'll also have it up on the screen here as I read from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. It reads, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. In this portion of scripture, Isaiah is proclaiming that he can see an invader on the horizon coming to the north of Israel. Into this area of Galilee, He begins his word of caution, but also of promise by saying there's a darkness that's coming over the people. Into this land, he starts off in verse 1. There's this gloom, this humility, humiliation that has really, that has come to the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. This Galilean region has come a darkness. You know, Isaiah's in Jerusalem to the south of Galilee, and he's saying essentially there's this dark cloud that's going to roll in over the land over to the north of the region. I don't know if you've ever been in a storm like that. Likely you have, where you've looked out over the sky and the landscape that's coming your direction. I remember different times living in Kansas City, they would get such intense thunderstorms and even tornado warnings, storm warnings that would come in. People would go outside. doesn't sound like the best idea, but they would know a storm was coming and they would look out to the horizon and it could be completely blue in your area, but all of a sudden you'd see these dark clouds rolling in, a thick darkness, heaviness that would just come over everything. The whole feeling of The area would change from just being outside and not a care in the world to all of a sudden everybody would realize we need to take cover there's a darkness that's going to enshroud this whole area this is really what isaiah is saying to the people from jerusalem he says there's this darkness that's rolling this way and that darkness is the assyrian empire and they're going to come as a heaviness that's going to come over this region of galilee That's the caution. That's the warning. But the promise says something far different. It says that this land is going to see a deliverer. This land is going to have that darkness removed. He says in verse 2 the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What a promise that is just glowing over these people who feel the weight of an oppression, the weight of not only just a physical or mental oppression. Many of you have likely felt that type of oppression, but this is a real physical oppression of another nation who's going to come and enslave these people and rule over them. But the promise is that there's a light that's coming. There's a light that's on the horizon that no longer do I see the darkness rolling in, but I see a light coming out of that darkness, a light that is going to dawn out of that region. He says in verse three, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest. I've shared before just this last summer was the first time we put together a garden. My daughter, May, she grew this simple but beautiful garden in our backyard. And it was so fun watching things come up but it was this process where she would go out almost daily and look and see first just a little sprig that had come up, a little bit of green that had broken through the dirt. And then as it got taller, this anticipation that it's, it's now showing up, that there's something that's actually happening beneath the surface is now visible. But beyond that, those first tomatoes that showed up on the vine This anticipation of one who is rejoicing at looking at what's coming up, the harvest, the anticipation that's going to happen at that time. And this is what Isaiah is saying. There's a people who are now looking in their day. They're looking out from this light that is dawning as a people who are looking to the harvest. Something great is about to happen. We can anticipate it. We sense that it's going to take place. He is going to break these yokes, shatter the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Isaiah is prophesying that this day will come where the people will truly be liberated. He declares that this liberation is coming and he begins not with a mighty warrior, but he says in verse six, for to us, a child is born, a son is given. This deliverance is not going to come as he sees it, not from a throne of authority and power from the beginning, but it's going to come from a child that is going to be born in their midst. It says that out of this child, the government is going to rest upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a proclamation out of this Great weight of darkness comes the deliverer. I love that we have not only Isaiah's declaration about this that you've worshiped other gods, and so this oppression is coming upon you. The Assyrians are looming large and they're going to come over you as a dark cloud. But he also gives them this light of hope, and so we have these two elements within. Isaiah's prophetic word in chapter 9. But not just Isaiah's word. If you turn to Matthew chapter 4, you fast forward to the New Testament, and Matthew makes this connection to Jesus as Jesus does his ministry, and he comes out of Galilee. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. It says, When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Matthew says, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What a beautiful and such a powerful picture that God brings to us first through Isaiah as he proclaims this dark cloud is coming over this region of Israel. Over Galilee is a heaviness that will weigh upon all of the nation as they see it coming this direction. Then you fast forward to Matthew, and under the leading of the Holy Spirit, Matthew says, do you remember what Isaiah said, what was gonna happen in Galilee and that heaviness that was gonna come? But then out of that heaviness comes to us a child, a deliverer who brings the kingdom of God with him. And then Matthew points us to Jesus. And he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. Matthew makes the connection between the two. He says this is what Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of that light that is going to break forth out of the darkness. Out of that northern region of Galilee, now comes a light. The light of life in Jesus Christ. It's shining and coming out to the nations. I highlight these two portions of scripture in relationship to hope because they are at the heart of what it means to have Christian hope when we hold on to Christian hope it moves us beyond just being optimists beyond people who can look at the circumstances and piece together some scenario in which God can move and act on our behalf in contrast to that God calls us to a Christian hope where the weight is so much more weighted in our trust and our belief in his character and who he is and what he does. I want to point to you a couple ways in which we find Christian hope is what God calling us to and to not just be an optimist. The first one is that hope trusts in God's timing for accomplishing his redemptive purposes. Hope trusts in God's Timing, this is such a critical element when it comes to being a people of hope. If we can see it and if we have our own timing worked out, that's not really hope as much as it is our plan and asking God to bless and work our plan. But hope truly trusts in God's timing for accomplishing his redemptive purposes. If you had asked Israel for God's timing for accomplishing redemptive purposes, They certainly would have hoped and they would have planned for it to occur more quickly than it did for them. It's in our nature to believe that things will happen in a matter of days, if not even hours, that God will act and do the things that we desire that he would in such a short period of time. And yet, God seems to almost always be working on a different clock than what we're working from. Redemption's timing is rarely quick and we're rarely ready for it when it actually happens. God in bringing his redemptive purposes is often much more long in the approach in the way that it comes to us. But it's quick in its arrival when it actually happens. Meaning that how often... Is it that you or I get busy? We get preoccupied. We believe that God is late in addressing the needs that we have. We feel sometimes that God failed to show up or is too late in showing up for when we need him. We get busy doing other things. We get distracted. Uh, we, we get tired of waiting upon God. All the while, God is calling us to be a people who wait, wait, wait to keep our eyes upon him and wait for his redemptive purposes to unfold. And then it seems that when it happens, we're caught off guard. I know for myself, there are times where I just thought, oh, I didn't even think that God was still active in this. I had given up that he was even going to do something. And I'm surprised that when it happens, it happens so quickly. All of a sudden, the kingdom of God is upon me or upon that circumstance. And I'm Taken back at how quickly God is at work in that moment. Slow in the approach, long in the approach, wait and wait. And then when God shows up with his redemptive purpose, when God addresses the need that we think we had waited so long for, it happens so quickly that we're almost not even ready for it. This isn't just my thinking about it or my uh, opinion about it, we see this over and over in scripture. In scripture, in Egypt, 400 years they waited; they were in captivity 400 years, and then they're delivered in a moment when Moses shows up and God says, "Now's the time; I'm ready to deliver my people." It wasn't hundreds of more years; it was in the moment. Waiting for the Messiah, the people of Israel had waited under the oppression of one nation after another waiting for the messiah waiting a period of silence where they really hadn't heard much from the prophets of what was happening and then jesus appears to them after such a long period of waiting jesus appears to them not with a ministry that goes on for 40 years not with a ministry of even 20 years but jesus's ministry that takes place over a period of approximately two to three years quick this longing of a Messiah, this long approach, and then a quick moment, the deliverance comes, the deliverer addresses the needs, the Savior is in the moment, and Jesus delivers us. Even the disciples were thinking that Jesus was going to return in the moment. The book of Acts records that Jesus told them that he was going to ascend and go to the Father, but they were to go into all the nations, and they were going to proclaim the message, but they should be ready. He will return. And so as Jesus ascends, it says those gathered about were looking at him as he ascended into the clouds. And they were looking up. And they stood there waiting. And they stood there waiting. And they stood there waiting, looking in the clouds. Until finally a, a messenger from God had to come down, an and angelic messenger, and said, What are you doing still waiting? He said, Go. Go don't look up in the clouds. Go and do what he told you to do. See, that's human nature, isn't it? They were waiting because he said he was going to return. So surely he's returning now, tomorrow, next week. Well, fast forward to where we're at 2000 years later, and we are still anticipating his return. We still have this sense of expectancy, the second advent where we wait for him. But Keep in mind, this is a long approach, but when the day of the Lord comes and he comes to deliver us from the oppression of this world, when he comes to deliver his people, all who have called upon his name and let us meet him in the air, when he comes to deliver this earth from the bondage of decay and depression, And the oppression that has come upon it, it is quick. It says that it happens so quickly that everybody is startled. The trumpet shall blast and every eye will look and be caught off guard at how quickly the day of the Lord comes. Hope, our hope comes upon the Lord, recognizing it's not in our timing, but it recognizes there's a long buildup, but keep waiting, keep watching, keep waiting but it's in his time. And when he comes, nobody will truly be ready, except for those who have just been given their lives to Jesus Christ. Those who have committed their lives to Christ will be ready for him, not in the sense that they predicted it. (laughs) Nobody has the date. It says nobody even knows the hour of it, his returning, but he'll come so quickly and that moment of deliverance will come. So our hope is not in our timing, Our hope is not that God will bring healing when we say he should bring it. Our hope is not that he will deliver us from the circumstance that we're in, in our timing. No, hope says that we trust him. We trust his timing, that he is the deliverer. And at the right time, just the right time, our deliverance will come. Secondly, hope trusts in God's way of accomplishing redemption. Time and again, we see that God brought deliverance from the most unlikely of people and most unlikely of circumstances. Remember, optimism says, yeah, I can see how this can happen. I can get a picture of how God would work this out. The pieces are there and I can make it out. But what hope says is, you know, I really have no clue how God is going to accomplish this. Sure, there's pieces there. There's elements where he might do it that way. But hope says that I'm not putting my trust in the circumstances and the way that I could see it happen. I'm putting my hope in God, knowing that he can accomplish it, even when there doesn't even seem to be a way forward. This should be the way that I approach God in all things. It's difficult for me at times. I imagine that it's difficult for some of you as well. We see the way that God should do it in our view. And then those pieces begin to fall away. Those pieces all of a sudden are no longer part of the picture. And we think, God, you missed your chance. God, you missed your best opportunity using that person or that circumstance. You could have accomplished it in that way. How come you didn't do it in that way? This is so common, so common with God, that the way that we see that he could work isn't the way that he often does work. How many times have I heard Christians say, you know, boy, God could really accomplish something if that person got saved and was on his team. (laughs) Do you realize, do I realize God's team is the way it's put together, and he's going to use the most ridiculous of circumstances. He's going to use the smallest of people. He's going to use the the most meager of means to accomplish things. And the scripture would tell us the reason he does this is because he will share his glory with no one. All glory will go to Jesus Christ. All praise will go to God himself, not because he was able to somehow land somebody of great influence and power and wealth to accomplish his purpose. Lucky God, he got the right person. (laughs) There'll be none of that in God's kingdom. There'll be none of that praise lifted up to mankind. It will all be glory to Jesus Christ for the way that he accomplishes his purpose for the smallest of people using the smallest of means and showing himself great through them. We see this even in the most recent of our elections, and I know we're past it and we're ready to be through with it, but how many Christians said, God, you can do something great with this person in office. God, you can do something great if this person has power and authority. And I often think God says, no, thank you. I have my own way. I have my own person, and that person, that man or that woman's not even on your line of vision. You don't even know they exist, and yet I'm going to accomplish my purposes through them. Listen, it's most often seen God's going to accomplish his purposes, not by us putting the puzzle pieces together, but simply by saying, Lord, you know what? Your ways are so much higher than my ways. Your thoughts higher than my thoughts. I don't have a clue how you're going to accomplish it, but I have hope in you, not in the circumstances, not in another person, but I have hope in you that you can accomplish it even when there seems to be no way. God has the victory. He reigns victorious. And he has redemptive purposes in your life. He has redemptive purposes for his church. He has redemptive purposes for this world. And he allows us to be a part of it. But but hear me, follower of Jesus, hear me on this, that we need to have hope, not in our timing that we have God in. it. He's not going to accomplish it in the way that we want him to accomplish it. He's not going to accomplish it in the timing that we have for him to accomplish it. Real hope doesn't see the way that we can put it together and then ask God to bless it. Real hope says, Lord, you have done great things in the past. You have delivered your people over and over again. And you have brought to me the greatest deliverance ever in Jesus Christ, freed me from my sin, freed me from bondage and a life of decay, freed me from eternity away from you. And so, Lord, if I can trust you with that, then I can trust you with anything. I can trust your timing. I can trust your way over my way, your plans more than my plans. My hope is not in me and my ability to see it. My hope is having faith in you and believing that you're going to accomplish it in your time and in your way. Let me pray for us as we finish this message and may hope rise within us in our Deliverer, in our Savior. Lord, we thank you. You can do it. Lord, we don't know how you're going to accomplish this healing that needs to take place, but you can do it. Lord, we don't know how you're going to deliver us out of this situation where we just don't see a way out, but you can do it. Lord, we know that we have limits to our financial means, but you have a way to provide for us that actually has nothing to do with us. Lord, we know that we don't have the influence to accomplish something, to to be able to to move the dial and and make something happen in our life. And so Lord, we we just wanna say that we're a people of hope, not in the circumstances, not in our ability to figure it out, but our hope is in you, Lord, to accomplish far more than we could imagine far more than we could piece together in our own minds. We have hope in you, in your character. We have hope that is founded in the way that you've shown yourself faithful through the ages. Thousands and thousands of years since mankind was first created and and put upon this earth, Lord, you have shown yourself faithful. And so our hope isn't by looking forward at the circumstances, it's by looking back at what you've done. It's by looking at your character and who you are. And it's looking ahead with anticipation of how you're going to do it and saying, Lord, we don't know how and we don't know when, but we know you will redeem all things. That all things will be made right in you. That the dark cloud that hovers, Lord, over certain areas of our lives, over our families, the dark cloud that seems to hang over our nation or over this world, Lord, we know that a great light is going to break forth out of it. We know that the redemption of Christ draws near in any area, Lord, where you come into with your power and authority in your timing and in your way. Deliverance comes to those who wait upon you and trust you. Our hope is in you, Jesus, our Messiah. And we anticipate your coming again. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.